How many of you like watching cooking shows? Like Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, The Kitchen, Pioneer Woman? Terry and I love them. We, that's kind of one of the few redeeming things you can watch on TV these days, but we, we enjoy watching them. We like to find little hole-in-the-wall places we might want to eat someday. We like to uh, find out some new recipes that maybe we want to try sometime. Uh, because we all know when you watch these shows, they can uh, create some pretty amazing dishes. And, and I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I watch these shows, um, my mouth starts to water. <laughs> my stomach starts to grumble, and next thing you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm kind of hungry. <laughs> and yet, no matter how many episodes of those shows I watch, it still doesn't satisfy my hunger. Until I sit down and consume the real thing and put real food in my mouth, that's the only way that I'm going to be satisfied. Well, it's interesting because I think we see something similar in our passage this morning. In a way, the old covenant worship was like watching a cooking show on TV in the sense that it elicited all the emotional responses. It revealed the the guilt of sin. And it made you hungry for God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. But, but none of those sacrifices, no matter how many times they were done over and over again, could remove the guilt of sin any more than those episodes of TV shows could satisfy your hunger. Instead, the old covenant was intended to make people long for something more, something perfect, something complete, something that satisfied the, the, the very deepest hunger of our soul. What we'll see very clearly this morning is there's only one person who can do that, and that's Jesus. And he satisfies what our heart longs for most, and there's nothing else that can do it. So let's let the, the Spirit of God lead us into the Word of God and Ask him to penetrate deeply into our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, as we open up our, your word, we want to open up our hearts, our minds, and our eyes. And we want to invite you to speak into our lives through your word. Words spoken by you. These are God-breathed truths. This is, comes with all the divine authority of our creator. And and you gave us this for the purpose of building us up to become the people that you've created us to be, those who worship you in spirit and truth, those who go out into the world and make a difference in their families, their neighborhoods, their communities, the world. Lord, we can't do that unless there's things that happen in us through your spirit that transforms us into the likeness of Christ. So, Lord, in in some small, maybe even some large way this morning, we would ask that you do that through the truth of your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you're new to us, we're in Hebrews. We're walking through the book of Hebrews together. So if you want to, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And if you would, begin reading with me, beginning in verse uh, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have not ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. 
But in those sacrifices, there was a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As we make our way through the passage this morning, as the writer's been doing all through the letter to the Hebrews, he's comparing and contrasting the old and new covenants. Not in an effort, and make sure you understand this, to prove that one is bad and the other's good. Okay? That's not what's happening here. It's showing how one is insufficient and the other is complete. Because God ordained both of them. He gave the, the law of the old covenant and the law of the new covenant to his people. And so we need to understand that they were uniquely given with a specific purpose in mind. Verse 1 tells us, that the, as the writer highlights, that the Old Testament law was a shadow and not the actual substance. You might think of it this way as one is kind of being like a picture and the other being the actual person. And let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you're married, but you're separated from your spouse because maybe you're in the military. So you're in another part of the world. There's no way you can communicate, and all you have is a picture. But that picture means a lot, doesn't it? Because every time you look at that picture, it reminds you how much you love them, how much you miss them, how much you'd want to be with them. <laughs> and, and you know that that picture is important, but it's nothing like being with them in person. Because when you're finally reunited again, when you're back together, that picture is no longer needed. You would never go back to the picture if you were there with the person, am I right? Well, in the same way, the old covenant is the picture. The new covenant is the person. Sure, the old covenant stirred emotions. It, that sacrificial system revealed the, the presence of sin. It exposed it and, and it, and it exposed and revealed our need for our Savior, but it could not satisfy the hunger. Because as we see in verse 2, the sacrifice could not cleanse a guilty conscience. I think it's really important to understand what's being said here because we actually ran across this already in our study of Hebrews. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling those uh, who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, here it is, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, this is a little bit crude. It's a hyperbole, so stick with me here. But let me give you an example. Let's say you kill someone, okay, and their blood is literally on your hands. Now, you can go to the sink and wash off all that blood, and your flesh will be clean. But you cannot remove your guilt. And, and even worse, you deserve a punishment for that sin that cannot be dismissed. You can't just look the other way and move on. The same is true for those old Testament sacrifices. It allowed people to wash their hands by admitting their sin, but it could not remove their guilt and the punishment that they deserved. And so in his mercy, we know that, that God looked at that heart of repentance, that sincere desire before God in all humility, humility to, to confess their sins. He, he looked at that and he temporarily withheld his judgment, the punishment that was deserved. 
We know that because of Romans chapter 3, verse 25, 23. Listen to what it says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrificial atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in forbearance, he, here it is, had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. See, it's impossible, as the author tells us, for the blood of bulls and goats to remove our sin. Animal sacrifices, I hope this just makes clear, it's really simple, right? Animal sacrifices are an insufficient penalty to be paid for the sins that we've committed. They can't remove our guilt, and therefore they can't cleanse our conscience. Yes, they revealed our need for forgiveness, but they did not provide a solution. Another way to say it is they were a reminder, not a remedy. Look at how he continues in verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written to me, To do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. And he said, behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, we, uh, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Every priest Stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until the enemies be made a footstool at his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time. One offering, he has perfected for all time. Those who are sanctified. Man, this is good news, people. This is incredibly good news. We see here that the new covenant salvation removes old covenant condemnation. That, that's what he's trying to tell us. In this section, Jesus explains how this is true. And what's interesting here is that the author quotes from Psalm 40. You can, you can look that up as you do your cross-reference. It, it quotes from Psalm 40, which David speaks, but he attributes it to Jesus, which in and of itself is remarkable. Because what that tells us is that every word in the Scripture is a word spoken by God. God breathed with divine authority. And so when you read God's word, you are hearing God speak. And so Jesus is speaking through Psalm 40, and he says, sacrifices and burnt offerings are not a sufficient judgment. They do not satisfy the, the righteous justice of God. That's why he says they give him no pleasure, because here's the deal. God's not interested in the sacrifices. 
He's interested in the one who's making them. He's wanting to see their heart. And the reason we know that's true is because what we see in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord. This is God speaking. I have had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no more. That's strong. But keep in mind that God is the one who ordained these sacrifices. So what's being said here? What's being said is that the people are just going through the motions without a truly repentant heart, which defeats the whole purpose of the sacrificial system, which is why they are worthless to God. Do you see that? That's why Jesus said the Old Testament sacrifices were not a final solution. But you, because you'll notice, God didn't send Jesus to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, did he? He sent Jesus to become the sacrifice for the people. That's the only way, the only possible way God's justice could be satisfied forever. Jesus says, I've come to do the will of God to fulfill the plan of redemption. And when that's complete, don't miss that, when it's complete, the Old Testament sacrifices are obsolete. It says in verse 9, Jesus takes away the first in order to establish the second. Remember, when the real person arrives, you don't need the picture anymore. Okay? Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, for all who believe. What took place on the cross was complete. It was final. The debt was paid. We saw this earlier. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Let's hear it again. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, a penalty we could not pay on our own. And it stood against us and condemned That's the Old Testament condemnation, Old Covenant. He is taking it away, nailing it to the cross, therefore inaugurating New Covenant salvation because of what Jesus has done. Paid in full. Completely done. Final. For all time. How many times did it say that in our passage? Right? At least three or four times. And then it contrasts. It says, compared to the priests who ministered daily in the, in the courts. Verse 11 says, they stood daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, here it is, which could never take away sin. In other words, their job was never done. I don't know if you remember the tour we took of the tabernacle, remember when we looked at the lampstand and the, the table of sacred bread? And the, did you notice? Okay, think back. Did you notice that there were no chairs in the tabernacle. There's a reason for that. Because they stood daily ministering in a work that could never be completed. But Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down. He sat down. Because all the work was done. 
There was nothing more to do. The debt was paid. As we see in verse 14, this one offering perfected for all time those who believe. Nothing more is necessary. It's completely sufficient. Those whose life we know, Scripture tells us. In fact, Sandra, I heard you mention it this morning from 1 Thessalonians, or you were doing a study, and it's talking about the Lord's return. He's coming back. Okay, that's a promise. It's going to happen. And that's when judgment will be complete. And those who have accepted that gift of salvation will be rescued and the redemption will be complete. And those who have rejected that free gift of grace will be condemned eternally. Look at how he continues in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind, and I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here's the picture I want you to see in your mind based on this section here. I want you to picture yourself in a courtroom. Because essentially what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is being called to the witness stand. Okay, that's what's happening. And the Holy Spirit is being asked to witness, affirming that Jesus did in fact fulfill the new covenant. And he does so by quoting the words of Jeremiah. Again, the Holy Spirit speaking through the authority of Scripture because what you read is what God says. Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he was known for the fact that he introduced and and explained and helped us understand the new covenant promise of God. In verse 16, highlights a key element of what Jeremiah revealed. It's where the Lord promises, I will put my laws upon their heart, and I will write them on your mind. And see, the Holy Spirit testifies of this because it's his responsibility for this to take place. It's the only way it can happen. We know that's true because of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Look at what he does. So that we know the things freely given to us by God. Things written on our heart and on our mind. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Here's the key. The new covenant promise introduces the unprecedented indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all who believe. That's what's happening here. Because apart from the Spirit, we cannot understand the truth of God's Word. Jesus promised in John chapter 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Verse 17 explains how the Spirit of God can be in you. It does so when it says, Our sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more. So in a way, now don't miss this. In a way, here's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's saying this. I would not be present if they had not been made pure. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. 
None of that is possible unless the new covenant promise has been fulfilled. The presence of the Spirit testifies to the purity of our lives, our sins he remembers no more. It validates the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. It's complete. The debt is paid in full. And so here's the question. Based on what we've learned this morning, which is powerful, powerful truth, and I suspect that that most all of us who've grown up in the church for any length of time have heard this truth. This is not new information, but I want it to penetrate really, really deeply into your heart this morning. So I want to ask you this question. Are you walking in the freedom of forgiveness? Okay, let's bring this home. Are you walking in the freedom of forgiveness? Because I think all too often we know what is true mentally, but we still carry around burdens that don't belong to us. Are you walking in the freedom of forgiveness? Let me give you some examples. It's not unusual. In fact, I often hear from people who are in some really hard places, really dark places. It could be terminal illness. It could be struggling with their own sin or struggles in marriage or or job. And they'll ask me this question. Is God punishing me for my sins? Is this why all this is happening to me? And I can tell you, as I would tell them this morning, based on what we've read with utmost confidence, no. God is not punishing you for your sins. And here's why. All the punishment that you deserved was placed on him at the cross. All of it. He is not punishing you for your sins. So you walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Knowing that he is with you and that he is for you, even in the midst of your suffering. Walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Now, we also know that there are natural consequences to the sinful choices that we make. But I also want you to understand that God does not refuse a broken and contrite heart. He is not going to stand up there with arms crossed and hold your sin against you just because he can. That's not the God that we serve. He will mercifully restore a truly repentant heart. So come to him and walk in the freedom of forgiveness as you learn to walk in grace. Here's another example. There are those who I think are, um, who choose to walk in the guilt of their sin. And they may say something like this. Well, I hear what you're saying. I know God forgives me, but you know, I just can't forgive myself. You ever heard that before? They might obsess about trying to overcome their past, uh, all they need to do to try to make things right. And, and, and at first appearance, it may look good and seem humble, but really, let me just be honest with you, it reeks of pride. Because if you could actually forgive yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus to do so. So walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Knowing that Jesus paid for the guilt and shame of your sins, and so you don't need to carry that burden anymore. That does not belong to you. You honor the Lord when you give that to him, living in gratitude for his forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ 
has forgiven you. Walk in the freedom of forgiveness. One final example. Sadly, I think a lot of people or some people don't walk in the freedom of forgiveness because they don't have a truly repentant heart. Like we see with the Old Testament sacrifices, just kind of going through the motions. They know the drill, right? They, they know what it's supposed to look like, but their heart's just not in it. They may say all the right things, and yet they're still enslaved by sin. Instead of truly confessing their sin, they're actually trying to manage their sin. And there's an important distinction here. Because when we try to manage our sin, we're planning all these strategies and and accountability to try to avoid the next pitfall, but then live in defeat of ongoing failure. Because they're not truly relying on Jesus. Because he's the only one that can set them free. You see, when we're walking in the freedom of forgiveness, we are not focusing on the problem of sin. Instead, our hearts are captured by a greater affection. We find strength in relying on the Spirit. We find strength in abiding in our relationship with Christ because the greater our affection for Jesus, the less our desire for sin. I promise you that. The greater your affection for Jesus, the less your desire for sin. See, when we walk in the freedom of forgiveness, we don't delay when God says go. We don't cringe when God says come. Our choices in life are motivated by grace and not by guilt. We're not trying to do a checklist of things that we're supposed to do. We're relying on the finished work of the Savior. We are walking in the freedom of forgiveness. Because in the end, this really isn't about us and what we must do. This is about Jesus. It's about what he has done. To walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Live in a way that puts the gospel on display. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we stand forgiven at the cross. It's complete, paid in full. Debt has been canceled. And so, Lord, as we live our lives, may we live in the freedom of that forgiveness, that complete forgiveness in you. Lord, if there are people this morning who are carrying a burden of shame and guilt that doesn't belong to them, I pray in this moment that they would open their hearts, their hands, they would relinquish it to you. Lord, I pray if there are people who are convicted of the fact that they really haven't turned their life over to you, they're just trying to manage their behavior to be acceptable in the sight of people around them, I pray that they abandon themselves to you this morning, surrendering everything to you because they trust you. Lord, for all of us, as we spend time this week opening up your word. I pray that we see the very words that we're reading are things that are spoken out of the mouth of God with all of its intended authority and grace and mercy and love. May we receive it and walk in the freedom of the forgiveness that you have made possible through the all-sufficient, perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
And that's a great prayer. And I do pray that all of us, every person, walks in the freedom of forgiveness this week. And here's some things that you'll see. You'll see a heart that's filled with gratitude. (laughs) Just bursting with the joy of having complete and total forgiveness because you have nothing to prove and he's done it all. I should stir that within you. Here's something else you'll see. You'll see a heart of confession. Because if you've been truly forgiven, you've got nothing to hide. So you confess knowing that you've been forgiven. And you rest in that truth. And then one other thing. You'll be on mission. Because if this is true, and we believe it is, how in the world can you keep it to yourself? So go serve. Go to Habitat. Go be with your neighbors. Go wherever you need to go as a forgiven person. And let the joy of your gratitude and the hope of the forgiveness that you have in Christ just flow out of you in what you say and what you do with those around you. Paid in full. Debt canceled. Once and for all. Forgiven and complete. Amen? Lord, we are so grateful for such an amazing truth. And would you do, forgive us for for the times we don't really let that sink in and understand the significance of what this is saying. This new covenant promise of a sacrifice that is perfect and complete. And because of that, you remember our sins no more. And because of that, you flood our lives with the presence of your spirit. And because of that, our eyes are opened to your truth. And because of that, we walk in freedom from sin. And because of that, we go to the uttermost parts of the world to speak the truth of who you are and what you've accomplished. Lord, help us to be that people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.